This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Theology is practical. However, when, uh, when people hear the word theology, many think that it's something only scholars think about. It's uh, for the intellectuals, not the average Joe. Uh, however, it's been my observation that um, those who think about theology generally handle life better than those that don't. There are exceptions, of course, but on the whole, this is true. So for people who think theology is for academic types, maybe it's a good idea to make sure we understand what we mean when we use this word theology. Theology is, on the one hand, what we know about God. What is he like? How has he acted throughout human history? What has he promised to do? What promises did he make that he's already made good on? Theology is also what we know about human beings. What are we like? What are our needs? How does God want us to live in relationship with him? Theology is what we know about Jesus. Who is he exactly? How should we understand the significance of his life and his ministry? and his death, and his resurrection. And of course, the source of our theology is the Bible. When we get our theology from the Bible, what we understand about God, what we understand about ourselves, what we understand about Jesus Christ, becomes very practical to everyday life. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. I thought it would be a good idea for us to do some theology of the cross and draw some connections from that theology of the cross to places in our lives. There are too many to unpack in one night, but I'll offer three connections between the theology of the cross and how that works out in life. First, let's think about what the cross calls husbands to. You didn't think this would be a marriage seminar when you came in here tonight. Even the Apostle Paul sees the practicality of theology. He looks at what Jesus did on the cross, what has brought us here tonight, and he applies that to how a husband should love his wife. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes this. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The kind of love a husband is to have for his wife mirrors the kind of love Jesus demonstrated for us by dying for us. So on the cross, when we start to think about all that happened there and 
and the significance of what Jesus accomplished for us, there we see that Jesus paid the ultimate price in order to give us the greatest gift imaginable. And a husband is supposed to love his wife just like that. God be with us. first question that rolls around in my own mind as I think about my marriage and my role as a husband is do I even know the extent of the price that was paid I'm supposed to love her like that I'm supposed to love her like Jesus loved the church but do I even know the depths of the price that was paid for me on the cross Proper theology of the cross leads a husband to routinely think to himself, Jesus paid the ultimate price to give me the greatest gift imaginable. And that's how I'm supposed to love my wife. That means I am called to surrender my rights. I am called to sacrifice my comfort. I can't imagine what Christmas was like for the triune God. As Jesus stoops to enter fallen humanity's world. What was that like? What did he leave behind? What was life like in eternity past for the Son? We probably can't even scratch the surface of how wonderful that must have been. And he left it behind. Now, here we have the Apostle Paul telling husbands, husbands, Love your wives just like that. That's how a theology of the cross may help husbands in their roles in their marriage. Well, let's look next at how the cross can help churches. I want to read a kind of lengthy passage from Philippians 2. Just listen. Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, the main point of this passage is, isn't actually Jesus' humility in laying down his life for us. The main point is for Christians to have the same mindset as Christ. 
the same attitude as Christ. Even though Jesus was and is God, he humbly submitted to a criminal's death. And Paul uses that as an example Christians in the church should follow. There was conflict in the Philippian church. And Paul understood that only humility can breed unity. But we don't naturally gravitate toward having an attitude of humility. We need, we need the extraordinary humility Jesus demonstrated. We need to look at that. We need to go back to that. And that's why Paul goes on to this long hymn talking about the mindset of Christ Jesus in his incarnation and in his death. So imagine a church filled with people who think about the theology of this passage. Jesus, though he was perfect and holy and fully God, humbled himself and willingly laid down his life for sinners. And I'm called and you're called to have that same attitude, that same mindset. In humility, to value others above yourself, above myself. Imagine a church filled with people who reflexively think to themselves, how can I value the people around me today? How can I defer my own interests and attend to the interests of others today? How can I put a towel over my arm and serve the good of others today? New Testament writers were preoccupied with ensuring churches demonstrate a healthy community. This is why the theme of unity is replete throughout the New Testament. There's something about unity that is both refreshing and necessary to our survival as a church. For years, scientists were baffled by the mystery of floating fire ants. Kids, did you hear me? I'm talking about fire ants now. When placed in water, an individual fire ant will flounder, struggle, and then eventually sink. But when fire ants band together, they form a life raft of sorts that helps them survive the flash floods of the Brazilian rainforests. As a unified raft, they can travel for months before reaching dry land. An article in the Los Angeles Times summarized some research that was being conducted to find out more about this mystery. Scientists collected a bunch of ants and they dropped them into containers of water and the ants quickly spread out and they formed themselves into these, these rafts and each individual ant uses its claws and the adhesive pads on their legs to grip onto each other. One researcher said, at first it just looks like a tangle of bodies and limbs everywhere but the longer you look at the picture, the more you're able to distinguish between different body parts and see the connection. The article concluded saying, the research sheds light on how deeply social insects act together, almost as if they're part of a superorganism. When in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul exhorts Christians to have the same attitude of humility that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. Paul is not randomly selecting an attractive attribute out of thin air. He knows Jesus died to create the church. 
And only through humility can individual Christians form a unified superorganism. This is how the theology of the cross helps churches. Let's think thoroughly about how a theology of the cross helps victims and sufferers. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, we read this. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power, God, and will had decided beforehand should happen. Imagine being the disciple standing at the foot of the cross watching Jesus' blood puddle around it. As you watch him struggle to breathe, you're having flashbacks to the previous three years where you saw him walk on water and feed 5,000 and heal the sick and raise the dead. He was unstoppable. He had no weaknesses. Romans didn't stand a chance. Soon Israel would be a nation again. But now your hope for a restored Israel is suffocating to death on the cross. How did things go so wrong so fast? The wheels came off in the blink of an eye. And you're thinking, as a disciple standing at the foot of the cross, you're thinking it's over. Now imagine being God, the Father, observing the crucifixion of your Son as you stand outside of space and time. You're not emotionless. Your heart breaks for what your son is enduring. And you too are thinking to yourself, soon it will be over. But not the way they think it will be over. They think things have gone wrong. They have, but they haven't. Everything, in fact, is going according to plan. They think the wheels are coming off, but they aren't. This mission is being executed flawlessly. Soon they will know and they will understand the extraordinary good this tragic evil is securing for them. Now, how can that be? Both the disciples and the Father are watching the same event unfold. But they have radically different takes on it. If you have been or are a victim or a sufferer, you feel probably much like the disciples felt standing at the foot of the cross. You feel hopelessness and you feel like this entire thing is a waste and a disaster. But God's word allows you to see things from God's perspective. So while your heart breaks for what has happened, you're filled with hope. Because in the theology of the cross, we see the worst evil is meant by God for good. Your disaster is meant by God for good. 
Every time I think about that truth, I remember Lizzie Atwood. In a letter she wrote, she says, Dear ones, I long for a sight of your dear faces, but I fear we shall not meet on earth. I am preparing for the end very quietly and calmly. The Lord is wonderfully near, and he will not fail me. I was very restless and excited while there still seemed a chance in life. But God has taken away that feeling. And now I just pray for grace to meet the terrible end bravely. The pain will soon be over, and oh, the sweetness of the welcome above. My little baby will go with me. I think God will give it to me in heaven. And my dear mother will be so glad to see us. I cannot imagine the Savior's welcome. Oh, that will compensate for all these days of suspense. I do not regret coming to China. But I'm sorry I've done so little. My married life, two precious years, have been so very full of happiness we will die together, my dear husband and I. Lizzie Atwood, a young pregnant woman, wrote this letter to her parents on August 3rd, 1900. Twelve days later, Lizzie, her unborn baby, and six other missionaries were hacked to death by the guards. When Lizzie's parents, living in Oberlin, Ohio at the time, heard the news of the death of their daughter, son-in-law, and unborn grandchild, in tears said, we do not begrudge them. We gave them to that needy land. China will yet believe the truth. We do not begrudge them. Now it is estimated there are close to 300 million Christians in China. The worst evil is meant by God for good. So as we come to the table this evening, ponder deeply the cross of Christ. Maybe your marriage needs it. Maybe a relationship with another Christian needs it. Maybe you need a deep sense of hope despite the pain of evil and injustice in your life right now. Ponder deeply the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, in this seemingly simple act, there is a treasure trove of resources you've given to us. And what we need most for these truths is to take on a visible form in our lives. And in order for that to happen, we have to be melted by what you've done for us. Only a heart moved by your sacrifice can stir a husband to love his wife in inexplicable ways. Only a heart softened by your humility can take on the same attitude 
of costly service for another. Only a heart impacted by the grievous evil of the cross, bringing about extraordinary good of souls saved, can look at their desperation with hope. Jesus, we thank you for the innumerable resources available to us in this simple act. Pray that you would drive them deeper into us in these moments. We ask it in your name alone. Amen.